Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into just not the great ancient Christian thinkers as we have been doing it over the past year, but now we are into a, an important period of history. Uh, if you were with us last week, you know uh, we are talking about the Crusades. So last week was well, what we called a prequel to essentially a discussion on the Crusades themselves. And what we will be doing this evening is just by way of snapshot highlighting some points we talked about last week, but we really want to turn our attention to the Crusades themselves and the First Crusade. And uh, like last week, I have John O'Hara and George Wing with me. So, John, great to have you with me. Thank you, Joe. And George, great to have you with me again. Praise be Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Guys, just by way of quick snapshot into some of the things we talked about last week, I think the first piece to be had was something you said, John, as it relates to this recovery that we've had in recent years uh, to a more authentic interpretation of the Crusades themselves with some of our modern historians really recapturing the essence of what the Crusades are about. You know, there was certainly a negative spin, if you will, guys, as it relates to the Crusades. I'm thinking, you know, Martin Luther seeing the Crusades and talking about the Crusades as an outgrowth of papal authority and power. You have such figures as uh, Voltaire and uh, Gibbons, Enlightenment, late Enlightenment thinkers who put the Crusades in the context of the Christians being savage beasts and barbarians, and once again, uh, something that was an outgrowth of papal greed. Yeah, in about the past 40 years, this is what I understand, the past 40 years, most historians on medieval history are in common agreement that the Crusades were not evil. They did not have bad intentions. The Crusaders had went to the East, went there for good motives, and uh, the warfare took place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is opposed to, like, say, before World War II, which was pretty anti-Christian. Now, unfortunately, Hollywood has not picked up, you know, these historians are writing history books for other historians, and it really hasn't filtered down to the hoi polloi. Yeah. So Hollywood <laughs> is still uh, yeah. pretty much, an well, Hollywood is anti-religion in any event, mm -hmm. and uh, their movies uh, are pretty pathetic. I mean, they're, they're not historically accurate. No, no. So, yeah, but I would say history, the real historians are... Are much more sympathetic than the before World War II. Mm -hmm. What one has to get beyond is the Reformation and the Enlightenment rhetoric. Yeah, yep. And um, now Martin Luther had an intent. He wanted to discredit papal authority. That's a way of asserting his own authority and establishing his own church. The Enlightenment thinkers essentially tearing apart you might say, the intellectual integrity of the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you have criticism from the Protestants regarding the ecclesial and maybe temporal authority mm -hmm. of the church and alleging an incompetence, and then among Enlightenment thinkers alleging a kind of intellectual incompetence. That's mm -hmm. especially strong in Gibbon. 
uh, who yes. published his work, The Masterwork, Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, in 1776. Now, that has strongly influenced the education spin that we get yeah. regarding the Crusades. And you see this in textbooks. The textbooks have yet to catch up to what John was just talking about, more recent scholarship. And the recent scholarship gives a much more balanced view of the Crusades and the Crusading movement. But once again, we still have to even go deeper into the context. We have to see the 400 years of Muslim aggression okay, that preceded the Crusades. The, crusade, the first crusade was anything. It was belated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, yes. it's, we have to see it in, in wider context as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in light of what you're talking about now, George, what's to be remembered, and we touched upon it last week, is, you know, by the year, what, 638, you know, you have these Muslim invasions conquering Christian territory, and just not, you know, North Africa, and certainly they have a stronghold in, in Christian Europe, but above all else, Jerusalem itself, the holy city. By the year 638, 638 I mean, yeah. Muhammad, he dies in 632. You know, the Muslims are following in the footsteps of uh, their leader, their Arabian warlord, who we know as Muhammad. Now, what's striking about this, guys, is if you look at our dates here, within a period of just six years, we have... Islamic forces sacking the city of Jerusalem in a period of over three days, where, what, 300 uh, monasteries, 300 churches have been ransacked. I mean, this is, this is the stuff that was going on very early on, mm -hmm. and uh, something to be very attentive to. And so when you fast forward 400 years, what do you have? Well, more Christian territory being invaded by Muslim conquerors and Muslim invaders, and I'm thinking, guys, of the Seljuk Turks, these nomadic peoples who were converted to Sunni Islam, Emperor Romanus, he, he tries to get his empirical troops and, and the mercenaries to try to fend him off, but that was unsuccessful. And so you have something beginning to take foot here in, what, 1068, 1071, that didn't start yesterday, but 400 years ago. Before 632, I'm going to assume that there was religions in the Middle East other than Christianity. Churches were there, and they didn't get wrecked. Once the Muslims came along, that's when uh, this religion or none seemed to be the attitude. Mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. what, that's what I get. Part of that context is understanding the roots of Sharia law in the Quran, the Hadith, and the Sirah mm -hmm. of Muhammad. Mm -hmm. And um, there is a kind of a constrictor effect a Sharia law is designed to ultimately squeeze the life and energy out of subject religions, religions that are have at least politically a minority status. They might be majority in population. For instance, Egypt would have been predominantly Christian, was largely Christian at, at the time of the Muslim contact, mm -hmm. uh, conquest. Syria also. Yeah, and but over time. When you relegate people to dimitude or to second-class status, it slowly sucks the life out of them. Mm -hmm. So they're required to pay a Jizra a special kind of protection tax, all right, uh, in order to maintain their uh, Christian or Jewish practice. Um, they're 
religious structures, churches and synagogues are subject to certain restrictions. Uh, you can't uh, build new ones, you can't repair the old ones. If one is destroyed, it can't be replaced, yeah. this sort of thing. So mm -hmm. we have over several hundred years this sort of uh, kind of like a boa constrictor mm. where as soon as you yeah. exhale, yeah. that thing, Islamic law, tightens yep. a yep. little further. Now, John had a very interesting chart in one of his books that he shared last week, and that was a series of lands, uh, Christian lands, conquered by Muslims, mm -hmm. and it, it seemed to be the average was about 250 200, years yeah, right. before, before, you 50%. before is, uh, the Muslim population reached the 50% point. Originally, these would have been predominantly Christian, okay, maybe 100%, 90%, but at about 250 years, you get to this 50% mark. Mm -hmm. Now we're in a situation in the Middle East where these populations are down to the 10 to 5% mm -hmm. yes. mark, okay? Well, yeah. <laughs> or in the case of ISIS-held areas, completely exterminated. Yeah. In other words, becoming like what the Arabian Peninsula is today. Yep. Okay, so... But the um, kind of getting back to the first crusade, we have to understand that Pope Urban II is responding to a plea from the Christian Emperor of the East, uh, Alexis, and a, a request for troops to attempt to regain these Christian lands. Mm -hmm. Now, I, one of the things that gets swallowed up in the discussion of the crusade, we talk about the movement of the crusades to the Holy Land and different atrocities that took place. One is the slaughter of the Jews in the Rhineland. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. I understand this is, you know, this is awful. The idea that it would be, in this case, kind of newsworthy in our larger context is this would be something anomalous to Christian behavior, totally anomalous. But what slips under the radar are centuries of atrocities committed by Muslim rulers in these lands formerly Christian. And uh, I want to bring one up. It's the destruction of the Holy Sepulcher. And we have here uh, Jerusalem having been uh, ruled by Muslims for maybe 250 years, 300 years. In 996, there's a Tariq al-Hakim, who was uh, the sixth Fatimid caliph of Egypt. By this time, the, the Egyptians had, had a rule there in Jerusalem. Uh, he becomes a caliph at age 11, and he rules until he disappears mysteriously at age 36. George, okay. quickly for our audience, we've used the word caliph. Maybe we should define that. Sure. This would be, in the Sunni tradition, the leader of all the faithful. Now, the caliphate was disbanded many centuries later by the Turks, okay, Ataturk, and, the, and that was in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. This is an issue that comes up with ISIS because they want to reestablish the caliphate. Okay, mm -hmm. now, but getting back to 996 and this Tariq al-Hakim, he comes the sixth caliph. It has been debated as to whether or not he was mad or not, mm -hmm. but he mm -hmm. was certainly eccentric. For instance, as part of the, uh, the dimitude, he required Jews and Christians to wear a distinctive dress, and uh, one of them was to carry... Uh, the Christians uh, were forced to carry a four-pound cross around their necks, okay? Mm -hmm. And 
um, the Jews had to wear an equally heavy carving of a calf as a shame for having worshipped the golden calf. Okay, now uh, this very same Hakim, okay, apparently also had his name substituted for that of Allah in the mosque services. So he has, um, even I think in Muslim circles, he would be considered what we in the West or in America would call over the top. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> now, Hakim also ordered the burning and the confiscation of all Christian churches. According to this book here by Robert Stark, God's Battalions, eventually about 30,000 were burned or pillaged, mm. stripping, complete, uh, the, stripping and the complete destruction of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre of Jerusalem, including all traces of the carved-out tomb beneath it. Now, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, this would be the object of worship, and mm -hmm. the, the church structure encloses the site of the crucifixion as well as the tomb, okay? So here we have um, uh, Hakim here ordering this destruction. Needless to say, this would be a bit upsetting to <laughs> Christians, all right? Now, it also should be pointed out that the Muslim term for Church of the Holy Sepulchre was Church of the Dung Heap, mm -hmm. all right? Now, this mm -hmm. comes out in some, uh, there's some CDs here. There's a, a DVD by Dr. Steve um, uh, um, Weidenkopf, I want to say, I wanna, yeah, it's yeah. Weidenkopf, but yeah. in German, Weidenkopf. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the real story of the Crusades. This is available from Catholic.com, Catholic Answers. Uh, good summary here of the modern scholarship. Uh, and then also Dr. Thomas Madden, Understanding oh, the Crusades. Both are good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, from Lighthouse Catholic Media. This is a great kind of little CD you probably can pick up in the back of your church if you have Lighthouse Catholic uh, CDs available. But um, this sort of thing, it's not just the destruction of the churches, but there's also slaughters of populations mm. and of pilgrims going mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. What happens, we get involved looking at all of the sins committed by the crusaders, and I don't want to diminish the significance of those, because as Christians, we need to have a heart and compassion for anybody that's oppressed, especially those oppressed by those yes, who are yes, baptized. Yes. Okay. But understand that hundreds of years previous, there had been, uh, depending upon the fickleness of the ruler and his uh, desire to impose Sharia law, mm -hmm. either more tightly or less tightly, yeah. okay, there was oppression of Christians. So with that, I think it's important, especially as you talk about the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, because this is certainly one of the reasons why the First Crusade started, along with the slaughter of, of thousands of pilgrims. Uh, in 1095, uh, in November of 1095, Urban II right. calls on the Crusaders. And you know? in, uh, they, they began to leave for the East in 1096, uh, in the spring and into the fall. And uh, it, it was about a five-month trip from Europe to Constantinople. Now remember, Constantinople is Byzant Byzantium Christian. So uh, while it, there were casualties along the way, uh, they were mainly of accidental type. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, 130,000 left. Of these 130,000, 13,000 were nobles, 50,000 were trained infantrymen, and another 15 to 20,000 were non-combatants, including helpers, uh, priests, etc. Mm -hmm. That's how many people went east. Mm -hmm. And they began to arrive, oh, around the spring of 1096, and then by about May 1097, everybody, everybody was there. So they're ready to go, and now what they have to do is they have to cross from Constantinople into Muslim territory, that's across the Dardanelles, and they have to start fighting their way down, beginning with Nicaea. 
Yeah, and uh, why is Nicaea important, guys? It's to remember, uh, I was talking earlier about the Seljuk Turks. They had established Nicaea as their quasi-capital, essentially. And you are just a stone's throw away from Constantinople. And of course, Correct. this is the mothership of the Byzantine Empire. So a very important uh, place and a very important uh, battle, yeah. Well, and the location also where the Nicaean Christian creed was promulgated. Yep. Now, the Muslims very, very aware that there were certain seats of Christian learning there in the Middle East. And whether this was, I, I'm a little unclear on this. I would need to check this thing out. But there might be some listeners who would uh, um, want to look at this too. Yeah. Was Muhammad aware of these different centers of Christian culture? Mm. And did his successors target them? Mm. Because you have Alexandria, Egypt, you have Jerusalem, you have Antioch as seats of learning, you have Constantinople, which was has been attacked repeatedly, okay, by Muslim armies before it finally fell in the 15th century. Mm -hmm. All right, mm -hmm. and then Rome, and um, most recently ISIS threatened Rome. Yeah. Okay, yeah. or at least yeah. the like, their cohorts in Libya. Well, they threatened it, yeah. so they're seeing that as a target. Now, once the, once the uh, European crusaders get to Constantinople, there's a little bit of tension between Alexius and the Byzantians and the Europeans. Okay, this is, you know, they haven't even crossed over into uh, Muslim territory. One of the troubles with the crusades was there no overall commander-in-chief. Think mm -hmm. of World War II and Eisenhower. He's in charge of various armies, but he decides whether the British go, where the Americans, so on and so forth. That's a good point, They didn't John. have that here. That's a good point. And this caused tension between East and West. They're both Christians, and this hurt all the way along. Let's take a look at the first battle, Nicaea. That was not an easy battle. The Christians did win it. The uh, Muslims were on the outside. So were the Christians. And a lot of fighting took place on the outside. And then when they eventually got to go inside, it was uh, Alexis who kind of persuaded them, okay, let the Christians in. Okay, the Christians think they can enter through the walls of Nicaea. Ah, but uh, Alexis only lets in six at a time. Well, what's going on yeah. here? The Christians, wait, 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 wait I, I thought we were on the same side. Well, yeah, we're yeah, on, yeah. see, what uh, Alexis really wants is he wants to keep this Muslim territory for himself and the Byzantines. That, that's, see, he's got other motives. Mm -hmm. Here's the one who asks for the Crusades, and he's, you know, he mainly wants territory for himself, all that is regained. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's important because what you see there, John, uh, is a seed of something that is going to mature in future Crusades, where, uh, yes, there's less than holy motives there when you start uh -huh. getting to the Third and certainly the Fourth Crusade, so uh, that's important. It's important to see strategically the Western Crusaders had a pretty long supply train, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yet Byzantium is closer. Yeah. And this withholding of support was really critical. The Crusaders always had a manpower shortage. And we have to remember, these gentlemen were on a pilgrimage. Once you arrive at the place of your pilgrimage, you fulfill your vows and you say your prayers, you go home. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So once the kingdom of Jerusalem was established, and, and by the way, the, the, it really wasn't a king ruling Jerusalem. Uh, the first crusader to take that position of authority in Jerusalem didn't want to be called a king because no. yes, he was right. the king of kings, Jesus, yeah. Yeah. had been crucified and then yeah. raised from the dead, okay, yeah. Yeah. in that area. So he, wouldn't have, he, he didn't want to bring that attribution onto himself. But John brings out an important point. 
we have to look at the First Crusade here in the Times. These are not organized armies in the modern sense. They didn't have a unified command structure. The, they were, these crusaders were undertaking the crusade at their own personal expense. And um, they also didn't have the advantage of satellite maps. Yeah. <laughs> now, Hilaire Belloc, in his masterful work, mm. The Crusades, this is mm. an Anglo-French um, historian, died yeah. in 1952, was a contemporary of G.K. Chesterton. Great historian, yeah. Fabulous yeah. understanding of the lay of the land. If yeah. you want to understand events in history, read Hilaire Belloc, yeah. because mm. he likely walked it. Yeah. But one of the mistakes that the Crusaders made was focusing on Jerusalem rather than focusing on Damascus. Mm -hmm. It's Hilaire Belloc's contention that the Crusaders taken Damascus, where there was a majority Christian population, they wouldn't have had any manpower shortage. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, getting back to this, um, the first crusade, John, you had a, it was a really interesting thing that you read to me about the vision that a monk had had. That is the lance, the missing lance. Yeah. Uh, now this get now uh, Saint, uh, I think it was Saint Longinus. Correct. Right, yeah. From the, yeah uh, you the, got it. Try to keep your geography in mind. Go okay. ahead, George. Our Protestant listeners might not understand Saint Longinus and the lance. So yeah, this is the relic that pierced the side of Christ. And uh, I don't know if we have the time to get into the chronology be behind it, but that Roman soldier who experienced a conversion, and so this relic what we call it, a relic, this lance, ultimately was something that would play an important role in reestablishing the morale of the, the, of the yeah. Crusaders. On, on June the 11th, this, this, now we're talking about uh, Antioch, that's where all of this took place, not Jules, Antioch, okay. Yeah. Antioch yeah. was not looking good at all. No. And on June the 11th, a priest had a vision that Christ appeared to him in the night, and he said, you guys are going to win. And this priest brings it to the attention of the authorities. That would be the, his commanders. They, I don't know if this guy really true or not. I, 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 yeah. And, 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 so, and then Count Peter Bartholomew reported that St. Andrew had appeared to him in a vision. And he told him where the location of the Holy Lance was. And they went and found it. Yeah. And now they got the Holy Lance. Well, with this, mm -hmm. they just felt empowered. And that led to... Uh, on June the 20th, I think, 1098, that was a huge battle outside Antioch, Antioch. and they won. Yeah. And that lance was quite helpful. A fine point there, John, as it relates to the ways in which, and this is just one example, but to the ways in which God intervenes uh, for the sake of the Holy Land and the Christian people. Yeah. John, there was another story, though, you read. There was disunity in the Crusader camp. Oh, by the way, the Crusaders didn't call themselves Crusaders. No, no, they no, did not. no. All right, no, no that's yeah. a modern invention. So yeah. put an asterisk after that every time we say it, okay? <laughs> and yeah. uh, But, John, there was something that the Crusaders were called to penance, and that was prior, it was during the Siege of Jerusalem. Was that not correct? They, they called themselves on pilgrimage. Yeah. They, they were yeah. on pilgrimage, and the deal was if you get, the Pope, Urban said, if you get to uh, Jerusalem, well, even if you try to go, you are given a plenary indulgence. All your temporal, uh, all the punishment due your sins in purgatory is, is is given away. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about there, George, is the vision that was given to one Father Desiderius. Mm -hmm. uh, and the vision was one of Bishop Adamar. Bishop Adamar was a papal delegate, okay? And uh, he had already died, uh, but his concern was that there was a disunity among uh, the, the Crusaders, and with that, 
it was breaking them down and they were less effective. So what Father Desiderius does is he calls them to three days of penance, um, to fast and to walk on bare foot around Jerusalem. Yes. And, 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 the, and the, the, the Muslims were mocking them, you know, making fun of them mm-hmm. uh, as they were processing around with, with relics. And uh, this, of course, as the historians tell us and as it's documented, the, was very the, important to the... The, the Lance was in Antioch, and uh, Jerusalem is about, it looks to me like about four or five hundred miles south. Remember, Antioch is in southern Turkey, mm-hmm. and you've got to walk all the way through Lebanon, current-day Lebanon, be, and then through half of Jer- Israel before you're going to get to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so there's there's the account we have in Antioch with the Lance, with the and Lance. then the... The, walk, the, the, the second intervention of God with Father yeah, Desiderius you, yeah. mm-hmm, and uh, Bishop Adamar. So, yeah. Well, this procession around Jerusalem, this is where God helps to create the mm. unified command. Mm. In other words, you're bickering among yourselves. You need to submit your mind exactly. to Christ. Yeah. And need to recall why it is that you undertook this pilgrimage. It was a pilgrimage. Yes. And you need to, the only way you're going to pull it together is to submit through penance and prayer. By the way, this gets into our, this modern history, uh, the Nigerian bishop, uh, Mm, Bishop Dash, in northeastern Nigeria, having a vision, Christ appears to him, hands the bishop a sword. When the bishop takes up the sword, the sword turns into a rosary. Mm. What's the message? Yep. To defeat Boko Haram, we must take up prayer. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that the bishop is not uh, appealing to Western help to fight uh, this Muslim insurgency there in Nigeria, but the, um, because he's been doing that. But, uh, you know, like the, the knights here in the First Crusade, this bishop is calling us to prayer. And that, that's a good footnote there, an important footnote there, George. You know, guys, we're we're running out of time. Just some key summary points here, and I want to go to the siege in the holy city of Jerusalem because after after that procession, it was a week long battle that ultimately the, the crusaders won. And so, after four hundred and to be exact, sixty years, mm-hmm. four hundred sixty years, the crusaders now have Jerusalem once again in Christian hands, and. It's important to note, too, after that, a small number uh, did stick around to protect, uh, organize, and for all intents and purposes, consolidate the, the liberated territory. And so as they returned home, you noted, you noted George, I've got the name here, uh, Godfrey de Bouillon. He, he took the position of a quasi-king, but he didn't want it, and he said, uh, how can I wear a crown of gold in the city where the Savior wore a crown of thorns. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, Amen. Gosh, guys, uh, good program. So much discussed in such a short period of time. Um, I don't know if we have any closing thoughts. Certainly there's going to be much more uh, to, to, to discuss in future I weeks. think as Christians we can be greatly edified by the piety and the courage displayed by uh, the knights yes. of the Crusades. Mm-hmm. However, we have... Three more crusades to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's many crusades, but as far as this Holy Land is concerned, there's four, and we've just touched one. Yeah, we've just touched one, and I think for me, you guys, what really struck me in, in my preparation for uh, this evening was the fact that these crusaders were, were human. They were broken. They were fallen. And how did they restore themselves? But by putting themselves under the mantle of Jesus Christ. 
And we, we can never lose sight of that. I mean, we ha- always have to have that in the rearview mirror when we start talking about the Crusades. And certainly, as we go deeper into the Crusades, we're going to see more of man's shortcomings. But it's not to say that uh, up to this point, as we've talked about it, there weren't uh, just conditions that were there to do what they did. So with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.